Chapter 23 The sound was of splintering wood, like a hundred tiny explosions strung into long, creaking strains, mixed with the shouts of battle and the snarls of growls of woodland creatures. The beleaguered enemy responded with roaring gouts of fire, the screech of wounded metal, and a cacophony of chittering and hisses. For miles in every direction, the canopy had shifted blue, a warning of intruders that continued to spread from treetop to treetop. The colors darkened the closer one arrived to the battle, the area of fighting shaded by trees, their foliage turned darkest black. Here, Yavamaya's defenders met the small but lethal Phyrexian probe. Leaves and thin branches whipped against Raffello's face. Lanawar moved too quickly astride his war moa for Yavamaya to shrug the limbs aside. Eyes clenched shut, he tracked his prey by sound at the growing scent of crushed marker beetles. Where most outside creatures found the scent offensive to the point of distraction, the elves knew it only as another piece of Yavamaya. They trusted its guidance, just as they would movement reflected in their own eyes. Everything in Yavamaya worked together for the betterment of the whole, from plant to insect to animal to elf. Now the elves were dashing in on their mounts to slash at the enemy flank, harrying the Phyrexians. The elves withdrew before concentrated effort could be brought against them, only to show up in a new place on the offensive once again. Trees bent or shifted, twisting themselves atop the root system to cover the elves' escapes. Brush would shrug aside, allowing access where before had only been a dense thicket of thorny vines and hardwood brush. Phyrexians who attempted to use such openings were destroyed by sharp brush and dart-throwing plants. Yavamaya coaxed and guided so that not one of its wood-dwelling subjects was hurt by the forest's own hand. It rooted deep in Raffello's thoughts, recognizing that here, as nowhere else, the Lanawar elves supreme. The forest even allowed Raffello's to overrule desire to recall Maltani. The expenditure and resources and concentration unnecessary for so simple a battle. Their shared mind became the center from which Yavamaya structured its defense. His hand, their hand, clenched around the middle grip of his double-bladed sword. Ruffello sliced again at the foot soldier entangled in vines, splitting open its chest. The moa lashed out with its jet-black beak, taking an arm off at the shoulder. Then he, they, twisted about and leapt back into the gloom covering the forest. The stinging slaps of slender branches against Raffello's face were easily ignored in favor of the freedom that came with fighting. Lanawar were warriors, but were Raffello's natural urge to bolt and run free pressed too sharply, Yavamaya soothed him back into dormancy, wild flower cultivated into a tamed garden. Raffello's found it hard to reconcile the different personalities that were now his. Raffello's the Lanawar, Raffello's the ambassador to and of Yavamaya. No matter, Yavamaya promised. This eve, he was at least acting Raffello's the Lanawar. The night was golden in battle. Raffello's yelled the Lanawar oath, taunting his enemies. The war mole he rode squawked a shrill call of its own, the warbling noise hard to track in the forests and hopefully leading to the enemy's confusion. Brush swayed before him and he tucked his head down behind the mole's powerful shoulder as it leapt through the newly formed passage. He had circled to the Phyrexian rear with a single large war engine rolled forward, oblivious to the trees, shouldering into its armored sides. Its own demon head chewed at the roots of one tree, tearing through with mechanical efficiency. Raffello's rode along the flank of the juggernaut, taking the warrior picket by surprise. They barely knew he fought among them before his blade of living plant life sliced deeply into the armored carapace. He whispered to his weapon and the blades circled inward to reform as his staff, enabling him to hold his mount with that hand without worry about hurting the moa. His free hand dug into the leather satchel that swung at his side. He drew out a handful of acorns, tossing the collection of sharp points and rough caps into the jaws of the war engine as he rode past. The mechanical leviathan shuddered, 
its internal gears grinding as they bent and bound. Armored plates, so impervious to outside attacks, split open as pressure from within surpassed its design tolerances. Roots worked their way out, digging the ground and anchoring it in place. Limbs forced their way up through rents the upper armor, trees widening thick boles. The fellows paused in the safety of a thick steel-thorn bush, his, their eyes wild with delight at the run-through of the enemy force. They watched as, within less than a minute, twisting stand of oak trees had burst from the innards of the giant machine. A mechanical animation left to it, its pieces littered the ground, held in thick limbs high overhead. Bastard, Fells decided, a spark of his own mind flaring their shared consciousness. The quick-growth acorns needed to sprout and develop faster. Be even better if nearby trees could throw the little missiles themselves. He felt the twinge in the back of his brain as Yavamaya heard him and agreed. Lanawar leapt forward from the bush to race them all around the new side, his staff unfurling leaves which sharpened again into massive blades. He had other ideas. The elven mounts handled well enough, but fellows would prefer greater jumping ability so as to leap over an enemy line or onto the backs of their war machines. How about increasing the size of the dart-throwing plants for less range but for more stopping power? The fellows' thoughts separated again from the shared mind briefly. He was surprised Yavamai had not thought of such tricks on its own. Then the forest, while sentient, was not omniscient certainly not experienced at war, though it was learning. In the shadow of the Stronghold's volcano, a small section of Wrath and Yevamaya overlapped, but the raging sea of chaotic energy between planes worked to separate them. Devol fought the Stronghold's machinery to retain control. Never before, not even at the edge of Wrath's boundary curtain of swirling energies, had he known such a trial. Here, so close to the seat of power and control, the transference should have been easy. Not even the Sultari wailing could distract him here. Yet the weight forced on his mind slowly squeezed at his sanity, threatening to crush him for his temerity and challenging the laws of reality. After so many years of receiving information from remote probes, Duvall required a first-hand account of how his warriors fared in the dangerous forest. Certainly, he was not about to risk himself in that hostile setting. He felt the lands, the very nature of Yavamaya, shifting. Nothing seemed to remain static. Trees swayed, conforming to no natural patterns of growth or behavior. They even uprooted themselves, just to spite his efforts at holding the bridge. Now a new stand of oak, thick with intertwining bows, erupted up from the bowels of one of his war engines, decimating it and causing yet a new ripple of pain as a piece of the pattern slipped away and had to be rebuilt again. He felt as if he were in a contest against another mind for control of the machinery. Yet Krogh was nowhere near strong enough to upset Devol's design, and the strange Sultari could hardly raise a distraction so close to the stronghold. Whatever the problem, it kept him distracted to the point of being unable to properly evaluate the assault. He had time to note only a few points. Fire was, of course, a deadly weapon against plant and animal both, though the sap that boiled out of the bark of the trees squelched the flames rather than feeding them. While the compound released by his war engine would dissolve the wood eventually, these growths were proving resistant to immediate effect. At least the animals and elves still felt a blade, claw and tooth, if only the land itself were not so treacherous. How the elves had found mages of such caliber was beyond Deval, for now. As with anything, though, he had time to observe and evaluate. His forces would improve for this battle, while nature was limited to such slow progression that it could not hope to compete. It was a good thing, since the Phyrexians were not faring as well as he hoped. Duvall imagined the rage Krogh might feel if he were to witness such a defeat in the making. There was the elf warrior again, riding atop the large bird that he had controlled with skill that border on the two being somehow of one mind. 
This elf was different from the others Duvall glimpsed in those rare moments he devoted toward the battle. Apparently, he was the only one of such size and marking. The elf rode deeper into the Phyrexian formation, a nimble dance frightening in its lethal grace. Duvall winced in pain as the stronghold's control machinery fed back its effort through adjusting for a large strand of brush that finally succumbed to fire. That brush had separated Rath's Evancar from the deadly elf commander. The dark-haired warrior glanced sharply in Duvall's direction. Then, with a blood-chilling cry, the elf spurred his mount forward and stepped out onto the flowstone of Wrath itself. Duvall recoiled in shock, never before suspecting that his own troops moved back and forth across the threshold, so could others make the transference of their own volition, though it made sense. Stronghold's machinery held the bridge, reacting to the presence of any life in the area, but not ultimately controlling who might pass through. This is not knowledge Duvall would want an enemy to return with. The elf appeared just as confused, just for a moment, surveying his surroundings with a blank expression. Then the warrior's fierce gaze locked onto him, dark eyes burning with hatred and rage. Duvall placed his mental touch upon the elf's mind, sensing for any connection to a leader or the mage who opposed the bridge into Yavamaya. The elf, Rathelos and Yavamaya. The names came to Duvall bleeding out of the elf's mind. His concentration divided. Duvall was unable to hold the bridge between planes. Rathelos was torn between following the retreating presence and killing the stranger before him. Like an artifice puzzle of gears and axles, the last piece was snapped into place. Duvall understood. Yavamaya was part of the elf because Yavamaya was alive and aware. The forest manifested itself through its creatures and plant life, and it controlled the very land over which it grew. Yavamaya opposed the Evancar in holding the bridge. Even as Duvall challenged Yavamaya with the troops and machines under his control, so the forest was sensing at the boundaries of Duvall's control over the machinery holding the threshold. Duvall mentally recalled his warriors, reached out and pulled back what lifeless bodies he could quickly locate and grab. A quick hand motion summoned his negator guard from behind him, set it towards slaying the elf. The elf was just fast enough to save his own life, kicking off from the mount, placing the large bird between himself and the advancing blur. The elf pitched backward and rolled onto the flowstone jungle that overlapped onto Yavamaya's forested land. Cursing, Duvall snapped after the elf, determined to sink metal teeth into him and drag him back over. But he was gone cloaked, no doubt, by the blanketing intelligence of the forest. His troops faded back across the threshold, bodies of the fallen formed back up from the flowstone. As he severed the channel between worlds, Duvall cursed his paws, which had gifted that elf his life. It wasn't until later, remembering the blood and oil dripping down from the elf's green blades, that Duvall wondered what else might have been if the elf had not have given paws as well. One half of the way around Dominaria, Multani had felt the changes take root. At the time, he was in the Burning Isles, where the renowned shipbuilder's guild was systematically destroying forests through logging. He worked among the villages and city-states who sold their timber off to the guild without thought to the future, teaching them to care of the lands and trying to prevent their coming troubles. Already, the rains fell less, drying up steams and smaller rivers on which many hamlets depended. Wind erosion cut scars into the land and dropped dust storms over some cities. Multani's own work consumed him, distracting attention away from the happenings back in his parent forest. He had known of the Phyrexian incursion of years back, of course, feeling the forest's pain reflected as aches within his own body and mind. Alterations were to be expected, and as they progressed, his appearance changed with the forests. The nature spirit's bark skin already possessed the strength of ironwood armor. Multani recognized his improvements and approved as Yavamaya approved. Except the nature spirit did not take into consideration the involvement of Raphelos. One day, Multani noticed the odd looks given him by his latest congregation. He followed their gaze back to his own shoulders. 
growths extended from them in spiky fashion, rigid armor. The same growth spouted near every major joint. He had gained length in his limbs, his toes thickening into sturdy strands and fingers extending now into the beginning of hardwood claws. Never before particular about his appearance, the nature spirit now looked and did not care for all he saw. It was then he had heard the first whisper of Raphelos' voice entwined with the thoughts that were Yavamaya's. Otani mentally pushed his mind more in parallel with the forest sentience to better understand the changes. It was a simple endeavor, usually, to bury his thoughts and intellect back into the stream of consciousness from which it had sprung, only this time he felt a resistance. So he pushed harder. Raphelos pushed back. Even as Meltani felt at the boundaries now set within Yavamaya's consciousness, the nature spirit heard the forest's call to return. The nature spirit walked into a nearby stretch of forest and disintegrated. The nature spirit's physical body was actually but a shell, pieces of wood and bark and moss, shaped into a humanoid form that allowed him to move more easily, interact with various races of Dominaria. Now it fell away, raining to the ground as sticks and twigs and scale flakes of ironwood bark. His mind, all of whom Maltani actually was, faded back into Yavamaya's consciousness, but it was held distinctly apart from that which the forest now shared with Raphelos. Instantly, the nature spirit was back within his homeland, the familiar feel of its high canopy and lush undergrowth. He sensed the incredible resources still buried in the land from accelerated mulch cycle, so much strength yet untapped. Maltani stepped from one of the massive trees of a coastal forest, a watchtower tree, standing as high again as the surrounding woods. He peeled away from the bowl like some new fast growth, whole again in his bark skin, form, and mossy hair. What the tree itself could not provide grew rapidly from his large frame. Yavamaya's incredible reserves fed him from the land through his contact with it. The Lanawar elf waited in the shadows of a grenade plant, its bulbous growths much larger than the one they had inspected together so many years before. Yavamaya wishes our physical presence, he said. Unnecessarily, as Maltani received the same knowledge, even as the elf spoke it aloud, the ground to one side split and opened, the immense root system buried beneath Yavamaya welling up to allow a cavern into the forest's depths. The two moved toward it together. Dwarfed next to Maltani's larger frame, Raphelos never once showed any discomfort. His gaze had braced Maltani immediately, as if sizing up a possible challenge, and then turned elsewhere. He looked more the wild elf than ever before, as if in its latest cycle Yavamaya encouraged the reversion. Thin, thorny vines had been woven into a few of his braids. While not fully painted, the elf wore blue smudges under his left eye, and a small circular design of red and blue decorated the right side of his neck. It has been a long time, Raphelos. Multani drew abreast of the land of war as the two moved along the dimly lit cavern. He noticed the bow slung across the elf's back. A quiver of ash arrows rode against his left shoulder. You fought well against the Phyrexians. I live to serve. Multani did not disagree vocally, though inwardly he knew better. The nature spirit lived to serve, working Yavamaya's will in the world outside. Raphelos lived to war, the forest's weapon against its enemies, subsumed by Yavamaya for his knowledge and expertise. Maltrani tried to push such thoughts over to Raphelos, make the Lanawar aware again of his identity, but the fracture persisted that separated their minds from each other. Seed torches lit the interior, plants which sat high on a stalk and produced a phosphorescent pollen that burned cool to the touch. They sprouted along the wall as needed. Many were the color of Talarian mage-lit stones, ranging from blue-white to lavender shades. Deeper, one burned a rare golden color that washed the wooden walls with an orate shine. Raphelos and Multani paused here, knowing that the golden torch marked the end of their walk. A new chamber opened the wall next to them, and they stepped into it as one. In the center of the chamber, 
Growing up from the floor, a branch of white ash wood stood alone. Seven feet high, it was topped with a tapered frond that Maltani knew was as rigid and sharp as any human-crafted blade. In his presence, Yavamaya gave the weapon its final living force. A green membrane grew up from the floor to wrap the staff in leathery chitin. That membrane connected the weapon to part of Yavamaya's force, making it able to bend itself into several different weapons, such as the bow Rafelos wore or the double-bladed sword he had used in the Battle of the Phyrexians. Multani knew this, though he still didn't understand the barrier that now existed in Yavamaya's mind. That knowledge remained outside of his grasp. It is yours, Rafelos said, his voice soft yet filled with a mixture of awe and pride, as if the weapon was a great honor. For the Lana War, perhaps it was. Multani, centuries spent working in harmony with the lands and people of Dominaria, did not look upon it with such reverence. What if I do not wish it? He asked, startled at his own words. His voice rang out stark in the chamber, alone. Fellows glared coldly. Yevamaya did not answer, did not encourage him one way or the other. When Multani thought to push for the forest's mind, he found it withheld. Completely. He was alone. Yavamaya's nature spirit suddenly understood then what it meant to be his own creature. He would not be compelled where once the choice would have been made by Yavamaya and simply accepted by him without question. Yavamaya was of two minds now. Rafelos and Maltani would be allowed to choose their own paths, and if necessary, Yavamaya would then share a separate path with each. The nature spirit almost declined the weapon and left Rafelos to share such experiences with Yavamaya while he concentrated on healing and teaching, which had been his life for so long. He almost declined, except he recognized that Rafelos required his help and healing more than any. Somewhere deep within the Lanawar elf's mind, a tiny spark that was holy Rafelos still burned. That part of the elf, Multani knew, likely struggled against the oppressive presence of Yavamaya's mind. It was the same spark that had pushed back, resisting Multani's efforts to share Yavamaya's consciousness. If the nature spirit was ever to reach out to help the elf, the two would need a common link through Yavamaya's consciousness. Tani moved forward, slowly. He grasped the staff, accepting it into the crook of one arm as the base separated cleanly from the floor. For an instant, the barrier fell away. Maltani felt it slip, brought down by Rafelos' own feeling of companionship as Maltani accepted the weapon. That tiny spark still burned within Rafelos' mind. Maltani breathed air to that spark and encouragement for the individual of Rafelos. He sent encouragement for the young Lanawar who had relieved the nature spirit of a portion of his burden and was now lost because of it. Personal identity was just as important as a sense of greater belonging. The nature spirit was just beginning to recognize his own balance between the two. He could only hope to do the same for Befellows. <laughs>